Hello, and welcome again to the Here and Now podcast from Federated Hermes. I'm Linda Dissel, Senior Equity Strategist, and today I'm joined via phone by Phil Orlando, Chief Equity Market Strategist, and RJ Gallo, Senior Fixed Income Portfolio Manager, for part two of our discussion of the 2020 election. Let me start with you, RJ. What indicators are you watching to predict the outcome of this election? Well, at this point, with a pretty high-profile and consequential election coming up, poll watching has become a bit of a, a national sport. Um, Real Clear Politics must love it. They get a lot of hits uh, because they, and places like 538, do a good job of aggregating across all the different polls, both at a national uh, and at a state level. The problem with polls, of course, is they're polls. Uh, their predictions, they're not certain. There have been some high-profile failure of polls in the recent past, including most notably President Trump's election in 2016. So you've got to take them with a grain of salt. You know, the polls are pretty strongly leading towards Biden at a national level. I almost laugh that we even have national polls because that's not how we elect a president. We elect a president with 50 different state elections in the Electoral College. And when you look there, it's, it's pretty tight, uh, much tighter than the national uh, popular vote polls w- would suggest. It's all coming down to 11 or 12 swing states, um, and I think it's going to be a lot closer than, than market convention. Another indicator we, I like to watch are the betting markets. You know, the betting markets are a way uh, that have evolved outside the United States, really, to, to put money down on a political outcome. Uh, the price that an individual pays to bet that Biden or, or Trump will win uh, translates uh, directly into a probability of that outcome. And when you look uh, in those markets, uh, Biden has a pretty good lead. Um, again, real clear politics. I'm basically giving them a, a little bit of a plug here. Uh, but if you look at the, the latest betting odds on real clear politics, which again samples across eight different offshore betting markets, they give about a 62% probability of Biden claiming the White House um, and about 38% of Trump uh, being reelected. So clearly um, it lines up pretty well with the polls in which Biden is, is in front. But in short, both of these, I think, might overstate um, the, the balance of risks as we head into this uncertain election. It's all coming down to swing states. A number of them are very close. Hillary Clinton won, I think, 3 million more popular votes nationwide than Trump did, but she didn't get inaugurated in January because that's not how we elect the president. Um, the the mm-hmm. state polls were also wrong last time, and, and there was a risk of that the polls were misleading at the time because they undersampled um, uh, certain populations, most notably the shy Trump voter, if you will. And there's a risk of that happening this time as well, which is one of the biggest reasons why you have to take polls with a grain of salt. Betting markets also were a little off last time. Uh, they had Hillary winning, uh, you know, probably for the same reasons. Betting markets have had a better track record in other elections, like an Israeli election. They Betting markets sniffed out Brexit when the polls did not. Uh, and that's how betting markets uh, became... Uh, more popular as, as, a, as an indicator, and that's why we look at them now. But we'll see how it all unfolds when we get to election day. Like RJ, I look at this every day. I mean, this is a great indicator. But you go back to just Labor Day, six weeks ago, Biden and Trump were tied. They were dead even. And then you look at where we were a week ago, and Biden had surged to a 65 to 35 lead. He had a 30-point lead. In part because of, you know, Trump contracted COVID. His first debate was a disaster. The, the, the way he handled the whole SCOTUS thing. And now a week later, that 65-35 lead is down to 
You've gone from a 30-point Biden lead to a 20-point Biden lead in a week. And, and it was interesting that you asked the question about how did, uh, how did Hillary do in this poll four years ago? We went back and checked. Hillary, just before the election, was leading then-candidate Trump in this real clear politics thing, 88 to 13. Yeah. She had a 75-point lead. And, and as RJ said, you know, she didn't get inaugurated. We, we know what happened there. So the betting markets tend to move very quickly, um, you know, in, in both directions. And so while it's a great indicator of where we are at a given point in time, um, you don't necessarily take it to the bank. Not even the night before election. No. I, you exactly. got to remember, Hillary losing was a surprise to most. And I think it's almost easy to forget yeah. that, but it really was. <laughs> and and if you go back and look at how the expectations had clearly built heading into it, it may, it's a cautionary tale for having too much confidence about what we think will come out of the you know on yeah. November November third as we move forward. Edward, Phil, um, any other indicators you're watching to predict the election? Yeah, one one indicator that has sort of uh, met the test of time is is the stock market itself. That, that investors tend to mm -hmm. vote with their feet. And as we study the performance of the S&P 500 over the last century, um, it's been a very good indicator of the election. How does it work? Well, it collectively looks at the performance of the stock market in the three months leading up to the election, quite literally August, September, and October. If the stock market is collectively positive in those three months, the incumbent has to win the election. Um, this actually has worked 100% of the time, nine out of nine elections from 1984 to the present, and it's worked 20 out of 23 times, 87% accurate, since 1928. That's a but pretty good track record, negative, so what's it telling us? Pretty good track yeah. record. Uh, if the stock market yeah. is negative, the incumbent party tends to regain. But and where are we now? You're probably going to ask. Well, we're up about 6% positive from July 31st, uh, you know, through today. So, you know, on this indicator, this would suggest that, you know, Trump's in pretty good shape. But the betting markets and the polls, as we just talked about, are pointing in a completely different direction. Wow. Well, I might say the S&P this time around may be trading on all that unprecedented stimulus. And I've read where the, uh, the, the dollar gives us some clues to a weak dollar like Biden and a strong dollar like Trump. So we'll see what that indicates. But now I want to put each of you on the spot right now and say, all right, RJ, who do you think will win this thing? I think it'll be very close. And I think we might end up with a contested election where whomever is the apparent loser on election night doesn't concede. Um, but when we get through the full counting, you have a number of states, including Pennsylvania, where, where, where a number of us live, um, they're going to keep counting mail-in ballots for up to three days after, after election day, and I think I think Biden will actually end up winning. I think it'll be much closer than the polls and the betting markets suggest. I agree with my esteemed colleague. I think this election is going to be a lot closer than the polls are suggesting. Uh, I think Vice President Biden is going to win the popular vote by a huge amount, five or ten million votes. You know, because of California, Illinois, New York, Massachusetts, New Jersey. Um, but as he pointed out correctly, this election will be decided by the electoral vote. And, and you've got a number of 
swing states that are that are right now very, very close. I think we're going to have a record number of mail-in ballots, maybe something close to 70 or 80 million, more than twice we've ever seen before. It's going to take us a month or six weeks or so to open all these things and process them and tabulate them and count them. And then there are going to be uh, challenges and court cases and whatever. I think ultimately this could end up looking like Bush Gore 2000 all over again with, um, you know, the court needed to step in at some point in the middle of December to uh, make some sort of a ruling that gives us some guidance on, you know, the direction, the path we should go. Uh, at this point, I think it's going to be a coin flip election that will be decided at the Electoral College. And um, I'm wondering if that, that huge GDP number that we think we're going to see next week, you know, which, which could be, you know, somewhere between 30 and 40 percentage points positive, whether or not that turns any heads um, in, uh, in the direction of uh, the president's chances for election. And so I didn't catch who you thought was going to win then, Phil. So. Um, I think it's going to be really close, Linda. I know you do. Who's going to win? I'll, All right, I'll, you don't I'll want to take answer. the other side of RJ's bet. I'll take I'll take Trump as uh, as the winner in the electoral college with Biden having won the popular vote. Okay, so I would like to close up this this piece of our discussion here by saying, I have always thought that the winner would be the one who got out his base. But this time, as you re- as you mentioned, Phil, we're going to get ten times the historic volume in mail-in voting. You don't have to get out of bed this time. And and I think I saw 30 million Americans have already voted. And the one thing I want to leave the, the listeners with is this question. If you, if you didn't know either person and you said, well, a group is going to vote for someone, but then the, another group is going to vote against someone, who would you put your money on? The one that they're voting for or the one who's the recipient of the voting against the other guy. And now I'm going to move on to my second question and start with you, Phil. Of the most likely election outcomes, which do you see as most market-friendly and which as least market-friendly? I think the most market-friendly, this is easy, is the Senate. The Senate, the Republicans need to hold on to a modest majority uh, in the Senate in order to maintain a legislative check and balance with a democratically controlled House, and that way it doesn't really matter whether President Trump with re-election or Vice President Biden wins, because you will maintain that check and balance. Uh, so I, I would argue that the Senate is a more important election than the presidency, uh, and that, I think, will be the most market-friendly. I think you will see a rally in stocks if, um, if the R's are able to maintain uh, split government in Congress. Okay, and then the least market-friendly, what do you think, Phil? I think it would be the blue wave. Um, the D's running the table, uh, which would provide them with a legislative mandate, and then why wouldn't they execute um, that impressive list of tax increases that RJ discussed, you know, at the beginning of the call? Um, that, that uh, as someone that, that uh, studies the economy and tends to vote my pocketbook, um, uh, Biden's Fiscal policy proposals scare the bejesus out of me, um, and um, that would be one thing that I would be concerned about. What do you think, RJ? Which is the most and least market-friendly from your vantage? You know, I pick up where Phil just left off there. I, I think that the, the immediate reaction to a blue wave 
Okay, you've got Capitol Hill, you've got the White House, you're going to have a large fiscal expansion, you're going to have higher taxes, which could motivate um, adjustments to people's portfolios leading into Inauguration Day. It seems like there would be sort of a risk-off reflexive reaction to that blue wave, and that would include stocks down, obviously, and you know, Treasury yields um, might actually go a little lower. Um, from a fixed income standpoint, I don't know how long Treasury yields would, would, would stay at that low, lower level because that fiscal expansion will come with a lot of debt, a lot of issuance. We already had a record budget deficit for fiscal year 2020, $3.1 trillion. It'll just stay very elevated under probably either president, but more so under Biden. So I would think that ultimately that reflexive risk off lower yields, lower stock prices, it might start to wear off because I think, as you said earlier, the stock market, you know, long-term discounter, do we really think Biden's going to fundamentally change the American economy and make corporate America that much less profitable for a really long time? I personally don't think so. I think that capitalism will, will win, uh, and if you expand the social safety net, that doesn't make us a socialist nation, and that the markets will adapt. And I would think ultimately what is a reflexive risk-off reaction ends up turning around, and the stock market would do okay under a a blue wave. They would like the fiscal stimulus. They would like what that is doing in the context of an unemployment rate that's almost 8%. And the, the COVID hangover is, is still with us. We still are struggling with nearly peak COVID infections. Uh, maybe having some different leadership on that key issue uh, could, could actually be refreshing in terms of the potential for economic reopening. So I just don't think in the end that that risk off it, it would, would be some crash or would be long-lived. I think instead it would be reflexive. Um, in terms of more favorable market outcomes, Phil hit the nail on the head. If you can restrain policy extremes by having divided government, especially with the Republicans in the Senate, then Biden can take the White House, Nancy Pelosi can stay at the Speaker of the House of Representatives, and I think that people would be there would be a little bit of a relief trade uh, in risk assets, and I would think yields might head a little bit higher on that, but they wouldn't rise too much because, let's face it, under any scenario, the Fed's at zero and buying tons of bonds. So, you know, I wouldn't expect a big washout uh, in, in a risk-on scenario for, for Treasury yields. Um, and I think ultimately uh, a scenario we haven't discussed, if President Trump wins but is facing an entirely blue Capitol Hill, watch out for the impeachment version 2.0 because this time <laughs> the House of Representatives – would, would be able to impeach on something. They'll find something. <laughs> and the Senate would be in the hands of the Democrats, and that actually might convict and remove a President Trump. So that would be a pretty tough outcome if Trump wins the White House, but the Democrats take the Senate. And, and Linda, historically, from a stock market's point, that scenario that RJ just laid out, uh, a, Democrat, um, uh, a consolidated Democratic Capitol Hill and a Republican president, that combination over the last century has been the worst for the stock market. So um, I'd be rooting against that as well. Oh, well, if, if Trump wins, we hope he has at least some Senate coattails then. Uh, you know, I think it's very, exactly. very interesting that both gentlemen agree that the best thing is generally the checks and balances of a, of a split Congress. And I just have to say that I'm, I'm reading more in my research here recently that the market would would like that the least because the market is really uh, hoping and expecting for this unbelievable stimulus, which I I agree with the gentleman here is definitely short sighted. And if we do have a blue wave, you know, will will uh, will a Biden administration 
at least lean towards being more moderate. I think that's uh, that's what we would look for. So excellent. Okay, well, thank you so much, Bill and RJ. And thank you to our listeners. We look forward to joining you again on the Federated Hermes Here and Now podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to subscribe to the Federated Hermes channel to get every Here and Now episode plus our other series, Amplified and Fundamental, our global perspective on the issues, challenges, and trends shaping the investment landscape. Views are as of October 20th, 2020, and are subject to change based on market conditions and other factors. These views should not be construed as a recommendation for any specific security or sector. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Federated Advisory Services Company, 